0: Welcome to this edition of Brother Reg. I'm your host, Reg Allen. This episode's a very special and significant episode where I talk about my own personal faith journey. I want to be clear that my intention in even sharing this very personal podcast is intended to be a blessing to someone somewhere. Deep in my heart, I believe my purpose in life is to bless others. Nearly all of us are on a spiritual journey in some way or another, and some are struggling with faith Christ, or other faith challenges in some way, and where you are on that journey is valuable and, to me personally, valid. I want you to know that I have respect where you are on your journey, and I consider it sacred, and I've come to recognize mine as sacred. I thought it'd be best for me to share my journey personally so that I can be clear and avoid any form of the telephone game. You remember when you were a kid and you'd play the telephone game, you'd start at one end, share a message and continue to pass it to the person in front of you until you got to the end. Then the message almost always was completely unrecognizable. I'm looking to avoid the telephone game. In the summer of 2019, I began to be shaken in my religious beliefs that I'd had my entire life. Growing up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I enjoyed serving in the church, serving as a full-time missionary for the church for two years, and then serving in various leadership callings at a young age, including serving as a bishop of our ward for five years in our family ward. Up until the summer of 2019, I can say that I never missed any calling assignments, always read my scriptures and prayed night and day. Um, Discipline has never been something that's been a struggle for me. It's been both a blessing and a curse in a number of ways. Any of my friends and family would tell you or describe me as someone who's basically all or nothing. Professionally in 2019, I was a full time professor at BYU Idaho teaching business and marketing at BYU Idaho to students I adored and faculty I admired. Truly, it's one of the greatest blessings that I've ever had in my life to teach students at BYU Idaho. Nobody, and I mean nobody, could possibly love their students more than I did and more than I still do. Well, frankly, I suspect that some of my past students will listen and watch this episode. And if you do, I hope you know that I think of you often, and I love your guts. In the summer of 2019, and through my study of the gospel and church history, I started to come across things in my studies related to truth claims in the church that were really unsettling for me. I didn't begin with the idea of, you know, let me search things out, and let me see how my faith can be shaken, and move into darkness. it actually started with a very sincere desire to become more educated and to learn more than I already knew. In some of my courses of BYU-Idaho, I would talk about cognitive dissonance. The idea that when we have a particular belief and new information comes that contradicts what you currently believe, that it creates some friction. And with that friction and discomfort, one of two choices seems to happen. One is Either you change what you believe and adapt to the new belief and abandon the old, or two, you block the new information as false, and you continue on your way. In all cases, our mind dislikes cognitive dissonance, and it won't stay in that space for long. For me, as I became more familiar with different aspects of church history, it was almost like I went down a dark rabbit hole. I kept studying more and more of both the information that was available through church resources, as well as directly from the sources that the church would reference when talking or addressing it. In the church, we often use shorthand for information as either truth or anti. In reality, information is not in and of itself moral, ER. So we give a label to that information that helps us make decisions. I think there's some information that may be true, that leads us back into feeling to darkness. And, on the other hand, there's some information that may be false, that leads us to feeling light. It can be difficult to distinguish what is best for us at times, and I can say for me, there came a point where I felt darkness. Darkness not from personal sin, but darkness from feeling on shaky ground spiritually, and particularly mentally. As a 40 year old man, my mind became really upside down. Once I felt I had the irrefutable truth, it suddenly became messy for me. And I can honestly say that in the summer of 2019 came the start of my own dark ages, so to speak. I felt alone. I felt worried that maybe I had been duped for my whole life. I wondered what impact it would have on me, my family, my loved ones. I didn't believe anymore. In 2020, I got to a place where I no longer believed that the church was true. I really felt I was in a difficult spot since I was at a university with students who I loved and a university that I love and respect, yet having feelings of doubt in my mind, that became so strong that I no longer felt that I could, with honesty and integrity, stay at the university. So out of love and respect for my students in the university, I made a very painful decision to step away from a position as a professor at BYU-Idaho. This is one of the hardest choices I'd ever made. Anybody that knows me knows that I had the opportunity to teach at BYU-Idaho, that if the chance ever was there, I'd have done it for free. Nothing filled my cup more than to invest in my students' lives the way I did. In 2020, I went into what I considered the middle of my faith crisis. It's almost as if the truthfulness of the church was put on a criminal trial in my mind. I wanted to evaluate evidence and research it as fair and as objectively as I knew I could. But despite all that, I found myself in what I could only describe as darkness. And the darkness can sometimes be described as loss of the spirit. I think that could be the case. But I also think that my darkness Down the rabbit hole was that I began to question what I'd always believed was true, and I began to wonder what truth really even was. In my own mental anguish and cognitive dissonance, I'd lost belief in what I once held as deeply sacred and true. In an effort to be aligned and what I believed was right, I voluntarily withdrew my name from the records of the church. This was a difficult choice. At the time I had left without much attention, to do my best to not disrupt those that I respect and love. A few years prior, Sarah Lynn had shared with me that she no longer had the deep conviction in the reality of God, but that she was willing to continue attending and moving forward, really in part based on my personal faith and belief at the time. And I don't think I fully recognized what a beautiful act of love and service this was from Sarah Lynn. She has always been a tender mercy to me, and really to this day, I can say without question, she is absolutely the greatest blessing I've ever received in my life. I can't imagine receiving a greater blessing than having Sarah Lynn as my partner. I share this because when I no longer believed in the church and what the church claimed was truth, Sarah Lynn and I together made a decision to formally leave the church. At the time, we maintained the records of our children so they could continue to do what they wished rather than having us make the choice for them. But it's not hard to imagine that our six children didn't have a lot of motivation to get up and get ready to go to church by themselves. I mean, would you? So after a couple of years, they had each decided individually that they'd prefer to have their names removed also from the records of the church. Each time we made these decisions... It was first with myself and then with Sarah Lynn, we took a proactive approach and reached out to the bishop and to the stake president to assure them of our love, because we knew that they loved and cared about us, and we knew that our ward and our neighbors loved us. We assured them that our decision wasn't based on being offended, and it wasn't based on how we were treated within our community. In fact, we've always felt loved. One of the complications, though, of course, was since we lived in the home where I'd served as bishop for five years, this caused a lot of confusion for those around me. Understandably, it seemed that people were really trying to figure out how their relationship with me would be after me leaving the church. For better or worse, there has always been a belief that those that leave the church are those really that are out to bring others down or to cause harm to others. With their faith and belief. Admittedly, there are those that fall into that category, but in my personal experience, now with hundreds who have left the church, I'd say on average, no one would wish a faith crisis on another, and that they wish nothing more than to have their loved ones see them as they are, their neighbor, their friend, family member, rather than someone who may be like a cancer. It's been said that you can leave the church, but you can't leave the church alone. I believe there's some truth to that, but I would also say that for the membership of the church, that people can leave the church, but the church can't leave them alone. Far too often, members come up with dreadful labels for those that decide to step away for their own personal choices, and a lot of those labels are hurtful, unnecessary, and really do more harm than good. After a couple of years, people began to recognize that I was still the same Reg, that I'd always loved them, and that they could trust me and treat me the way they always had. And several years later, I had to rebuild what I believed and what I held to be true for me, since I had lost that guiding light and principle for me. And I sought diligently to define my core beliefs and values and live according to my heart even without knowing what might be true eternally or what might not be absolutely true. And I've got to tell you, when you are not sure that there's even a right or a wrong, you become very aware of what you really value. I learned a few things in that process for me. First and foremost, I recognize that I deeply love and care for Sarah Lynn, my wife, and would always be faithful to her regardless of religious belief she is my one and only. Over the last few years, I've been made aware of different times, you know, with different rumors surrounding my marriage or horrible rumors of sin that had absolutely no merit and still hurt me deeply. And during those times, Sarah Lynn would always assure me, Reg, you and I know each other. We love each other. We have each other's back and we know what's true. Don't give away your power to something that we know is false. Her steadiness helped me be steady in a lot of those times. I knew deep down inside that people were doing the best they could to make sense of why I would leave the church. And living in a small town in America, we tend to look for something to talk about. I was thinking about the Reba, was it the Reba McIntyre song? Let's give them something to talk about, baby. And I think we probably gave him something to talk about. The second thing that I learned deep within inside of me is that I have a sincere desire to bless people's life with no motive other than the blessed lives. It's something that I've always loved, and I cherish those moments. I cherish those moments in the church, and I cherish those moments outside of the church. After a few years, I'd gotten to a point where I'd spend very little time thinking about religious beliefs, and frankly. Sarah Lynn and my life were going very well both together and separately. Sarah Lynn particularly seemed to just totally bloom within herself in a way that shined brightly. If any of you have seen Sarah Lynn or interacted with Sarah Lynn, you know that she shines, both as a spouse, as a mother, as a business owner, and as a friend. It's been incredible to watch. One day not many weeks ago, I had a dream that changed everything for me personally. I consider this dream sacred, but I feel the part of the context of the dream would give you a sense of some of the thoughts that came through my mind so that you can have a sense of what it was that I had within me that changed. In my dream, I had a general authority that met with me and called me to serve as a counselor in the stake presidency. But by the way, I have zero intention or ambition to be called into a stake presidency. But in the dream, the general authority said, I'd like to call you to be a counselor in the stake presidency. And kind of surprised, I looked at the general authority and said, I'm honored that you have offered this position to me, but I'm not a member anymore and I don't believe. And the general authority looked at me and in my dream said, I know, I still want you to do it. And it seemed like I paused for a minute or two, and then I looked at the general authority and said, I'd like to be able to serve in that way, but I need to tell you that the very best that I could say right now is that I hope that the faith claims of the church are true, even though I can't currently tell you that I believe that they're true. And for whatever reason in the dream, the general authority looked at me and said, it's all that's needed. So almost in an instant, I was baptized. In the next scene of the dream, I was sitting on the stand. It seemed like it was for a stake conference. And before the meeting began, the other counselor in the stake presence, looked over at me and almost had a shocked look on his face. And he said, I thought you left. I said, I did. He looked at me for a minute with just almost that judgment look of not belonging here. And I looked at him, and in my dream, I said to him, Listen, let me tell you something. Movement away from belief is painful. And movement towards belief is painful. Don't judge. And then my dream was over. That was on a Friday night. On Saturday, I texted our local bishop and said, Hey, just out of curiosity, what time does church start on Sunday? And he said, 10 30 AM. Why are you coming? And he's a good friend of mine, and I texted, never know. Sure enough, on Sunday I went to sacrament meeting and it was a beautiful experience in the sense that I saw people that I love and people that I care about. It was a normal sacrament meeting. There wasn't anything particular about it that was unique. It was comfortable and it felt familiar, but seeing people that I loved was very special. After this dream, I kept thinking about a couple of things from the dream. One, I kept thinking about how I said I'd be willing to say that I hope that the faith claims are true, even when I don't know. And the second part of it really stood out to me was looking and owning my own space with the other counselor and saying, listen, movement away from belief is painful and movement towards belief is painful and not to judge. I recognize that based on the fluid nature of belief and faith, that all of us are moving to or from belief on a regular basis and that there's pain involved in that process. It seems important to me to choose not to judge people as they're moving away from belief and when they're moving towards belief because we're on our own very, very unique journey. I can't think of very many instances where the Lord took the time to condemn people based on them looking to search out their own heart and to following what they believed was right. In the article of faith, it says, we claim the privilege of worshiping almighty God, according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege to let them worship how, where, and what they may. I think we do well to remember that as a core belief within the church, we can allow and grant the privilege without judgment and with love and respect. Sometimes good, well-meaning people decide that in the midst of people's pain and anguish and moving away from belief, that they have a responsibility to go to these people and confront them and say, Listen, don't you remember how you felt? Or are you denying that you ever felt the Spirit? Or any of these things. I'm sure they're very well-reasoned, but that that well-meaning person often adds more pain and more difficulty to those who are already struggling to find their way. After my dream, I ended up having some discussions with a select group of people that I deeply admire and respect, with some very open, candid, and honest conversations about the church, my feelings, experiences, and they listened with love and without judgment. That was crucial for me. They thought to understand, and to care. It allowed me a chance to reflect on any spiritual experience that I once had without having the need of being offensive. One friend in particular a few weeks ago asked me about my decision to leave and how I got there. And when I thought about it, I recognized that I got there by using my intellectual mind and my rational thought to evaluate truthfulness of the church the very best I could, with integrity. Through the conversation with this close friend, I recognized that somewhere along the road I'd began to only consider the church intellectually and by evaluating information, when what had always been powerful for me personally was the things of my soul and heart that never ended up being reflected in church essays or any other recorded history. I also acknowledged there were many who knew far more than I did about church history, who made a choice to believe after learning so much. And at the same time, there were people that knew far more than I did who made a choice not to believe after learning so much. And thinking about it, I began to think about how personal faith is, and how information and history were not what was most significant for me personally when it came to spiritual truth. I began to consider the fact that regardless of facts, articles, or publications, I could make a choice to follow my heart and soul that was leading me back to believing, to having faith in Jesus Christ. And I began to rely on what my eyes couldn't see, but that my heart could feel as a measuring stick for the choices I was to make. For me, integrity is about aligning and doing what one believes, That's right for them in their soul, and what lines up with their values and beliefs. And believe it or not, it's possible that some people can be in integrity for doing things that we don't necessarily think are right for us personally. And to learn to love and respect the choices of others when they don't believe as we do is a lesson that I intend to keep forever as a member once again, and as one who's made covenants, God, and who's. I'm seeking to keep one of the most important commandments, to love our neighbor as ourself. And some of those neighbors are our loved ones, those we deeply care about and respect. A few weeks later, I made a decision to be rebaptized and to make and keep covenants with God, as did three of my children. My beautiful and supportive wife, Sarah Lynn, who I've loved since 1998, And two of my children made the decision to not be rebaptized, and instead chose to be supportive of my choice and for me to be supportive of theirs. When I explained my decision to be baptized to one very well-meaning person who I love and respect, they looked at me and said, I'll bet you hope Sarah Lynn comes back. And before they could even finish this sentence, I stopped the person and said, Whoa, 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 hold on a second. I want you to know that I don't have a hope or expectation that Sarah Lynn gets baptized. They looked at me a little surprised, and I clarified and said, because of my deep, profound love and admiration for Sarah Lynn and recognition that her beliefs and her feelings are every bit as valid as mine, and that if I were to have expectations for her, I would be creating a wedge between the person that I love the most that I can't possibly afford to have a wedge in a relationship that matters that much to me. And the same thing goes for my two boys that made a decision to not be baptized. So the day came on October 14th, myself and three of my children were baptized. It was an incredible experience for me and a very spiritual experience. We invited those who I knew knew had great love for me, both in the church and out of the church. By the way, the truth is, I think we didn't even get close to inviting even half of the people that loved us both in and out of the church. I knew that with belief and by being baptized, there would come conviction that I would then be entitled to spiritual experiences that I was craving. And I can tell you that at my baptism, my entire soul was filled with the Spirit in such a beautiful way that it filled my whole body. and I don't know who all felt it it was there, but I know that I did. I had the sweet, incredible privilege of having Hiram, my oldest son, baptize me. Hiram was baptized first, then confirmed, and then received the Aaronic priesthood. And then he had the privilege of baptizing me as well as two of his younger siblings. It's also a tender mercy for me that my mission president, President Stone, was able to confirm me a member of the church again. The words that he shared, and more importantly, the spirit that I felt when he confirmed me, changed my life and changed my heart. Hiram's full name is Hiram Stone Allen, named after President Stone. And President Stone also confirmed Hiram to be a member of the church. When visiting with the bishop during my interview to be baptized, I told him that I was fully prepared with my heart and mind to make and keep sacred covenants with God, but I also told him that I was unwilling to make and keep cultural covenants. When thinking of making and keeping cultural covenants, I recognized it in the times of the past as if I was taking action based on a desire to keep a cultural covenant had absolutely nothing to do with my sacred relationship with God or Jesus Christ as my Savior or my deep religious beliefs. But those cultural covenants that I would try to follow at times, it's almost as if they had turned into more. I do this as an outward expression of a cultural covenant that I've made. I'm committed to keeping the sacred covenants I've made and I will give what I have to guard against becoming a cultural covenant. I have a responsibility to continue to move in a direction that I feel God wants me to, and to continue to express love and gratitude to those that are around me, to choose unconditional love for those that believe differently. I wish somehow that I could communicate to you as a listener I feel God's love for me. God expects me to love others the way that he loves me. I know that he loves me regardless of what I do, because he's most concerned with who I am and who I am to be. I think that the soul is not about linear progression. I believe that it's far more holistic. I believe that we can move to a spot with our deep love and compassion for others and our forgiveness of ourselves and transcend negativity transcend judgment, transcend some of the evils that prevail in the world. I have a commitment to be a man of love. I hope that whether you are a believer or whether you're not a believer, that you'll have a deep sense of the love and appreciation that I have for you, that I respect what you believe, and I feel respect from you about what I believe. Thank you for listening. I sincerely hope to hear from you with your thoughts. You can find me just about anywhere. I'm a big guy. I'm hard to miss. Love you, care about you, and look forward to visiting with you in the future. One, two.